Amen. Praise the Lord. You guys can be seated. Good morning, Hope Church. <laughs> so good to be with you this morning. If this is your first time here, welcome. I'm glad you're here with us. We are starting into a new series this morning in the strength of his might. We're going to be going through the book of Ephesians. Ephesians is a letter written by Paul uh, to the church in Ephesus. It's in the New Testament. You put up the, uh, the graphic of the, my Google Maps here. This is modern day version of what we're talking about. That, that spot on the map is the Ephesus Archaeological Museum. That's, that's the location of the Ephesus church uh, back in the day. Now it's an ancient um, set of ruins. Uh, but this, this letter that we're writing was written by Paul. Way up in, the ro- in Rome, up in the upper left corner there, as he was in prison, writing to the church um, in Ephesus. The story, if we look in the book of Acts, which is also in the New Testament, it gives us a narrative of the events of the early church and how the gospel spread. And uh, it gives us the story of how the gospel made it to Ephesus. And it's actually kind of cool to see how God orchestrated the word of God, the gospel reaching uh, the town of Ephesus. Uh, You had... Uh, Paul, on his first journey near there, the Spirit of God prevented him from going there. God had another plan. Uh, Paul ended up going up across the top there, Thessalonica. You can see that on the map. Philippi was up there. He came down, visited Athens and Corinth to the west of Athens. Um, God was spreading the gospel, but he had plans for this area where Ephesus was, which which we, we call Asia Minor back then. And... In the time that Paul spent over in Corinth, uh, he met these, this couple that also were tent makers. And God used that time for the couple of years that they were with Paul uh, to raise them up uh, to be able to be missionaries. And so when they finally went across the water there, from where you see Athens across to Ephesus, he brought uh, Priscilla and Aquila with him. And actually, he left right away and left them behind, and they were those first missionaries then bringing the gospel into Ephesus. And we see just these incredible events as God orchestrated uh, bringing light into that town. Ephesus was the fourth largest city in the empire of Rome. Uh, it was a center, uh, uh, an education center. It was in, All the Greek philosophers were there. You had... Um, a lot of commerce there. Primarily, the commerce was around tourism and pilgrimages because it was a worship center to the gods, the Greek gods, the, the foremost of which was the goddess. It's the temple of Artemis, right? So the, the Greeks uh, called her the, the goddess Artemis. The Romans called her Diana. That temple was one of the seven great seven wonders of the ancient world. So people would travel there, and they made a lot of money locally in selling idols, and, and silversmiths would, would make these idols, and that was a lot of the income in that place. It was a dark place. They were without hope, without God. There was a lot of sorcery and witchcraft that was practiced there. Marble Road, which led through there, had etched into the marble advertisements for the two-story brothel that, that flourished without condemnation because it was under the goddess and under their system of worship that it was okay. 
It was a dark place, but God brought the light of the gospel into Ephesus. And I, I can barely get into what, it, what the story is that's there in Acts, um, but it transformed things. Uh, you had um, these, these magicians and, and witchcraft bringing all of their books into a pile and burning them. Uh, you had this, this one event outlined in Acts of this uproar of, of people that, that sold the idols and said, this is changing so much. Paul is having such an effect and the gospel is having such an effect that people are no longer buying these idols because Paul's teaching that they're false gods. And so there was this uproar that you could see just in the chaos of it was a spiritual battle that was going on. The opposition there uh, from Satan uh, was great, but the gospel was shining brightly, and it was in the years that Paul spent there, um, all of Asia Minor then uh, came to know what the gospel message was. So it's into that then um, that Paul later uh, is writing a letter, and there was, there was still opposition, the Spirit of God leading Paul, to write this letter, knew what would come ahead, would come after the time that he's writing the letter. Um, yes, there was this external opposition uh, that was there, but, but we see later, uh, a couple years after writing this letter, Paul had left Timothy there to pastor in that area, and he'd be writing a letter to Timothy uh, dealing with uh, some influential men that, that were coming up with in the church, teaching false doctrines. And, and encouraging Timothy to stand against them. This letter um, has in it a lot to do with standing. Ultimately, the end of this letter, what we're going to get to, is this exhortation to stand in the strength of God's might. To be strong in the strength of his might. And we read later even, 30 years after this letter was written, uh, in the book of Revelation, uh, God gave John uh, a message to the Ephesians church. And in that message, uh, we read that, that they did have patient endurance. They did stand against false teachers. They didn't grow weary uh, lifting up the name of the Lord. Though in that letter, there was also an issue that they lost their first love. That's something we'll get to in another sermon sometime. But this was an important part of God's work in strengthening that Ephesian church, which at the time of this letter was a thriving church. Let's read in Ephesians chapter 1. And we're just going to go through the first 10 verses here this morning. Is Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of the, his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. 
In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ, as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven, and things on earth. Let's pray. Father, once again, I confess that we need your Holy Spirit to understand your word. God, I pray that you would speak to us through your word this morning. Give me the words to explain clearly the message that's here in your word. God, I can just imagine what it would have been like back then. Paul in prison, they knew he was in prison and they received this letter. And part of their worship in that church where there was such great opposition, they opened this letter to read before the church. God, give us that excitement to hear your word and hear what the Spirit of God had for the Ephesians, what the Spirit of God is speaking into Hope Church now. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. So usually when I consider the events of my life, um, how I came to Christ as a junior higher, uh, rededicating my life to Christ, looking at, at the, the events of my life where I've had to trust God and walking with God, um, it's all in this perspective of my relationship with God. It's a good perspective. I'm considering, okay, now the things that are in front of me, what are, what are the things that I need to do in these circumstances to be faithful to God? What, what is the, my walk with God? That's good and important way uh, to look at things. Um, it's usually in the context of my lifespan. I'm looking from the beginning of my life, looking to the future of what will be the end of my life. It's very much bound to my personal experience um, of what I understand based on what I've experienced in my walk with God and, and just in what's around me. This letter isn't talking here about our relationship to God. This is different. It's talking about God's relationship to us. And when I'm looking at it from the perspective of the almighty, infinite God's relationship to me and what he is doing, what he is acting, what he is choosing, it's no longer in the span of my lifetime. Now I've got an eternal God an infinite God, an all-powerful God, the creator God. And, and when I consider his actions towards me, now it goes back to eternity. Now it's, it's a much bigger, grander plan. It's, it's things that I can't wrap my head around. But it's important that we take these things in. If in this letter I'm going to learn something about standing strong in the strength of his might, then topics that we're going to run into here that are difficult for us to wrap our minds around. We need to let the Spirit of God speak into us what he wants us to know about his character that we can't fully understand, but is his power towards us, his actions towards us. So when I look at my life, and I want to encourage us as we go through this, 
to take a fresh look at the circumstances of my life, normally I see them through the lens of my relationship to God, through the lens of the things that I am trying to accomplish. But let's for a moment set aside our own agendas, our own pursuits. I want to set aside David's David's things that, that, that I am going after right now. Well, even, even in this church, the things that I am pursuing right now, my purposes, I want to set those aside for a moment and think, when I'm looking at the circumstances around us, what is God doing? God is active. To think of the, the eternal God active in the circumstances around me can be a terrifying thing. And that's not a bad thing for us to be terrified in just the, in meditating on what it means that God is active in my life, that the circumstances aren't just by chance, and they're not just what I'm controlling, but it's something that God is working around me. All right. So this morning, I want us to look at God's purposes in my life. And there's three purposes that I see in here. I know there's a lot more that God is working in our life, but I want to look at God's purposes in my life. And as we do that, um, there's, there's a number of words that we're coming across in here uh, that have been difficult. Um, I don't want to just set them aside. I want to actually look at them and ask God to help us see how those work into our life. So one of them, let's actually bring up verse 11, even though it's not part of the passage. Uh, in this one verse, we have a lot of those words show up. It says, In him we have obtained an inheritance, Having been predestined, there's one word, according to the purpose, he's got a purpose, of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. He's got predestined and purpose and counsel and will. That word predestined also shows up, uh, it's up in verse 5. What does it mean? It means pretty much what it obviously means. Um, Predestined, uh, it's, it's predetermined, decided beforehand. It, it's dealing with the decrees of God made in, in eternity past. It's something that we wrestle with, and it's difficult to deal with that word uh, because it's bigger than our own experience. But we see it in the Bible most clearly through what God did in Christ. We see God from the beginning calling his shot, saying, here's, here's what's going to happen. And as the story unfolds of God's plan through Christ, through the Old Testament, over 300 prophecies are given. They're describing all of the events that are going to surround God's plan through Christ. But there's mystery in it. It's not understood how it is exactly that God's going to do it, but he's, he's giving us these clues ahead of time so that we'll see later and look back and glorify God that God's hand was sovereign and caused all of this to happen. Had he made the mystery known, then Satan wouldn't have so willingly crucified Christ. The predestination of God's plan in Christ then is carried into here to say, okay, that same that same decree that God has, has caused to happen through Christ is not complete yet, but it's being acted out now in you. You are part of God's big plan. So predestination is an important word in this and, and a confidence that we carry 
um, in knowing that God is going to accomplish what he said he's going to do, and we're part of that. We have this word um, purpose that shows up. In verse 11, it's actually a different word for purpose than the earlier versions. Uh, In verse 11, it just has to do with laying out a plan beforehand, like setting out a blueprint. Um, uh, It's a different Greek word, though, that we see purpose in in verse 5, according to the purpose of his will, or in verse 9, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ. The Greek word in verse verse 5 and 9 could also be, uh, it's, it's more a gracious purpose or, or good pleasure even. Um, and it could be translated uh, in verse 5, you could say, according to the pleasure of his will. Or you could say um, in verse 9, according to his good pleasure which he set forth in Christ. So you have this sense of pleasure that's in that Greek word for purpose. And the word for will uh, this, this, this word is used more for God than for man, and it carries uh, more of an emotional than a volational uh, sense. So, it, so it's, it's not so much uh, the specific, um, if I get the, the word here, it's not, it's not specifically what God is going to do, but, but God's heart and what his desire is. And there's also with it a sense of that it will happen. Uh, it's the word used for will for man in the Bible doesn't have that sense of this is actually going to happen. Um, it's more deterministic and, and uncertain. Um, but what we have here is not just this description of this mastermind, master planner, uh, the, the greatest, <laughs> far greater than any str- strategic uh, mind that exists that has been created is the Almighty God who is the creator. It's not just his plans towards us as an infinite being, but it is his heart towards us and the love of God expressed towards us and his actions towards us in his love. That's what's captured here in this passage. All right, so what is the purpose of God in my life? He's outlining here the almighty God, the infinite God, working something in my life. What is it? Let's read in Ephesians, uh, starting in verse 3. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that what? We should be holy and blameless before him. There's one purpose that God is working in my life, is that I be holy and blameless before him. There's a problem with that statement. If you know much or read much in the Old Testament, to even be before God, to be near God, there's a problem. Because sin cannot be in the presence of God. Sinful man cannot be in the presence of God. Look with me back in Exodus chapter 33. Moses is before the Lord, and he has told the Lord, please show me your glory. And God says, I will make all my goodness pass before you, and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. 
And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. Little man. Oh, wait, didn't say that. But he said, you cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. We lose perspective of the holiness of God, how awesome it is and how terrifying it is. And the Lord said, behold, there's a a place by me where you shall stand on the rock. And while my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft of the rock, and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take away my hand, and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. When Moses came off that mountain, his face shone. They couldn't stand it. The glory of God was still, just just from that, that passing by, the back of God, not the face of God was so great a glory shining off of his face, they had to put something over it. He had to put a veil over his face so that they could stand it. There's something here that I don't think we understand anymore about the awesomeness of the glory of God. Aaron, uh, Moses' brother, was one of the, he was a priest, and his two sons, Nahab and Abihu, um, were trained in what they needed to do as priests. But they disobeyed God, and, and it doesn't seem like a big, great thing. They just decided, oh, in this sacrifice, we're going to just bring a different kind of fire, something that God didn't prescribe. And immediately, God killed them. The holiness of God, to come before God with anything but what God has prescribed, was deadly. Later, if we look in Leviticus uh, 16, After that incident with Nahab and Abihu, the Lord spoke to Moses, starting verse 1 in chapter 16. The Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron, when they drew near, when they drew near the, before the Lord and died. It's so understated in how the Bible puts things sometimes. And the Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron your brother not to come at any time into the holy place inside the veil before the mercy seat that is on the ark, so that he may not die, for I will appear in the cloud over the mercy seat. See, there was this tabernacle. This is at a time when, when Israel was on the move, and there was this, this setup of tents that had uh, in the center of it uh, this place that was enclosed that was the Holy of Holies, and that's where uh, God's presence was in the midst of his people. And he's saying, tell Aaron, don't come in here or he'll die, but if he does come in, but the way for him to come in here goes into verse 3, but in this way Aaron shall come into the holy place with a bull from the herd for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. And he goes on into a lengthy list of requirements that Aaron needed to go through before he could enter into what was the presence of God within the midst of the Israelites. Now after this, ultimately, Israel did have their own temple, that temple was destroyed and rebuilt and destroyed and rebuilt. And, and around the time of Christ, you had uh, this temple that Herod had built for them. And the Holy of Holies was guarded by a curtain that was some 60 feet high and by some accounts four inches thick, guarding off the Holy of Holies. And only the high priest, after so much preparation, could go in there on behalf of all the people. So now God is telling us that his purpose in our life is that we be near him. That we be holy 
and blameless before him. So as we look through God's plan that he has orchestrated, that he has worked all through this Old Testament where there's those blood sacrifices of animals were just a picture of and a hint, a clue to what God was actually going to do, that it wouldn't be an animal sacrifice, but it would be the sacrifice of his own son that would be the perfect lamb, that would be the one to atone for the sins. And so when we see Christ on the cross, and, he's, and he says, it is finished, and he praises last, the Father in his love towards us has now completed what he set out to do through his Son, and he tears that curtain from top to bottom. Because no longer do we have to be separated from the presence of God, but God in his love has provided the way through his own son so that through faith, through Christ, we can be in his presence. That is the purpose of God. He's working in our life. That we be holy and blameless before him. Now the provision of Christ is there. What did, what did Christ accomplish well, his sacrifice was an atoning sacrifice. It was a propitiation for our sins. A bunch of fancy words that mean that Christ satisfied in himself the wrath of God that we deserved. He satisfied the wrath of God. Through his blood, we have forgiveness of sins. It's not like what it was before. See, the animal sacrifices, the blood covered sins. But through Jesus' blood, we have forgiveness of sins. They are removed from us. So now as I look at the circumstances of my life, the things that are happening around me, whether it's the attacks of the enemy or it's, or it's just sickness or, or it's joy or it's anything happening around me, am I seeing it through a lens of God actively working a purpose in my life to make me holy before him? Yes, I have every provision in Christ that I can boldly come into the presence of God. I can, I can approach the throne of grace. But my life still is not perfectly holy before God. And God, in his goodness, is working that purpose in my life. Am I seeing the circumstances in my life through that perspective, through the God perspective of what he's doing? All right, the second purpose that I see God working in here in our lives, in my life, is adoption. If I look in, starting in verse 4, because the break is awkward, it says, in love he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise and glory, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. He has predestined us for adoption. This is, boy, predestined. This, this awesome word that, that we have a difficulty with, but paired with in love, he has predestined us for adoption. He's blessed us in the beloved. Who is the beloved? It's Christ. It's the one that the Father said, this is my beloved in whom I am well pleased. Where are we in this picture? We are in the beloved. Do you see that? 
The love of the Father for his Son, we are in that now. So that we can say, so God now can say to us, this is my child in whom I am well pleased. Because we are in his Son. Oh, the glory of what adoption is. There's another thing that God has accomplished. There's this, this propitiation, atonement piece. It's a big mouthful of a word. There's the forgiveness of God. Uh, but there's also the redemption of God. And it, it pairs well with the idea of what God is doing in adoption. If we look back just to the, last, to the previous book in Galatians chapter 4. Starting in verse 4, it says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem, there's that word, it's redemption, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son than an heir through God. Here's the glory of what God has accomplished. We were, the Ephesians were, lost without hope. They were slaves to sin. They were slaves under the ruler of this world, Satan. But the mystery revealed now through Christ is that God through his son now has purchased us. That's what redemption is purchasing us out of slavery. A slave can be sold, but no longer are we going to be a slave that can be sold because as he has purchased us out of slavery, he has now adopted us as his children. You can't undo that. We are the children of God. Well, the glory of God of what he has done in adopting us. So now as I look at the circumstances of my life, do I see what God is working as me, his child? As he is, is loving me as his child, how do we as parents love our child? We care about their character. We care about growing them up into what is good for them. So sometimes that involves the discipline of the Lord. But it's a loving discipline. It's the love of a father towards us. The perfect father. We're not perfect parents. God is a perfect parent. Do we see the circumstances of our life in light of what God is working towards us as our Father? All right, finally, the third thing that I see in here that God is working towards us is to make us part of his eternal plan. But look, starting in verse 7. It says, in him we have redemption through his blood. There's that redemption. The forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven, and things on earth. So all things united in Christ. God has a plan that goes beyond now and into the future. God is working something now, and that's part of what we're going to see in the circumstances of my life. It's not just about me now. It's a plan that God is working in us. If you notice, there's nothing in here that's saying me, even though I've, I've posed these these elements as what God's doing in my life. It's all about what God is doing towards us. 
His plan involves us, Hope Church. And what he's doing in your life involves his plan in this body. It involves his plan to the future. It involves this community and those he's calling to himself. God has a much bigger plan than us and what he's accomplishing. So now as I look into circumstances of my life, some things don't make sense regard to me. But God might have placed you in a circumstance because of what he's working through you in the life of someone else. Do I see the circumstances of my life through what God is doing in his eternal purpose that he has brought me into? Praise the Lord that I can be a part of his eternal purpose. Finally, all of this, if you haven't got the clue already, is set forth in Christ. All of these things are set forth in Christ. That was God from from eternity past. His plan is all wrapped in what he accomplished through the Son. And we see that over and over again in here. Let's go back to the beginning and read it one more time. But look for how this is so much wrapped up in what God has provided in his Son, Jesus Christ. It says again, Paul, an apostle of of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Even as he chose us in him, the choosing of us was in Christ, before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoptions as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has blessed us in the beloved, the beloved son. In him, in Christ, we have redemption through his blood and forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in the wisdom and insight in all wisdom and insight, make, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. Oh, that I would see not just my relationship to God, but God's relationship to me so that I could see the power of his might working in my life, and in the circumstances around me so that I can walk in the strength of his might. In the early church, um, the Spirit of God had just recently come, and Peter and John were speaking, Christ crucified and resurrected, mostly Christ resurrected. The, The whole scene of his crucifixion was very fresh in everyone's mind. So they were speaking that Christ has been raised from the dead, and the religious leaders didn't like that. And there's this one incident in chapter 4 of Acts where they're, they're saying, uh, they, they arrest uh, Peter and John and say, you need to not say these things. And they try to bring accusation against them, but they couldn't do anything right then. So they just threatened them saying, if you continue speaking like this, um, we're going to do something to you. And so in, in chapter 4 of Acts, you have this incident where 
where Peter and John have returned to their friends. And it says in chapter 4, um, verse 23, when they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, they prayed together to God. What did they say? Sovereign Lord, who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit. Here they're going to quote Psalms 2, and they're just confessing God's sovereignty and control over all of the events that led up to Christ. And they're saying, here, look, here's, here's where you called one of the many shots. Back in, in Psalms where you said, here's what was going to happen with regard to your son. And quoting, they say, why, why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed, describing what it was like towards the end of Christ's life on earth. For truly in the city, they continue, for truly in the city, they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. They're saying, God, you are sovereign, and you were sovereign over everything. You were sovereign over Herod and, and the Gentiles and over the Israelites. They were all there. They were all there according to your plan. And now they said, okay, now, Lord, in our circumstance now, this is an example of standing in the strength of his might. And now, Lord, look upon the threats that now they've threatened us with. Grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. While you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Father, I pray for our church that we would speak your word with boldness. God, I pray, I pray that the strength of your might would be present in our hearts, that we would have the confidence in every situation ahead of us, just knowing your hand is at work. Open our eyes, God, to see your sovereign work and to trust it, knowing that you complete what you start. That if you have called us to a purpose, that you will accomplish it. There is no doubt. As your heart is spread through us to the community around us, to call people to yourself. God, give us that confidence to pray and to act in the power of your spirit and your power that you work so strong in us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.